Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. My name is Art and happy Thanksgiving. It is Turkey Day today. And for most of the world now, tomorrow, the Christmas season starts. And so welcome to the party, pal. We've been counting down to episode 100. Today's episode is number 93. And we're talking turkey today. Well, this has been a fun month and it has flown by. A couple weeks ago, Gracie attends middle school, but they also have a high school there. And we were able to attend the high school play that she was a part of, um, Elf the Musical. And it was really wonderful. It was on the same weekend that Gerald Dickens came to Omaha to do a Christmas carol. So I, I missed seeing Gerald this year. Uh, but I have the audiobook of of him reading. There's a movie uh, version as well that's still available online. You can purchase to rent. So I'll be doing that later in the month. As I mentioned, we are counting down to episode 100. This is episode 93. And for our 100th episode, I'm asking for you all to reach out and share with me some of your favorite Christmas memories, your favorite Christmas stories, and send if you have any questions. Uh, I'm hoping to do like a Q&A section as well. I'd be happy to answer just about any question and make that a part of our big mega 100th episode, which will be coming in December sometime. It'll probably be uh, earlier December. I, I'm still working on the schedule for my episodes when they'll come out. So stay tuned. A couple of uh, other news items to get out uh, to you um, and a few announcements. I'm continuing to do some videos on the Cozy Christmas Podcast YouTube channel um, that I'm calling the Cozy Christmas Book Corner. Uh, at least once a week, I'll be posting a couple of recommendations for some cozy reads that I've read this month and throughout the year. Some of them will be familiar to you. Some will be new. I'm trying to give you at least two books in a series recommendation with every video and as well as playing some clips from author interviews that I have. I've got cozy mystery writers like Liz Ireland and Carol Perry coming on and I'm really excited because they have written some great Christmas books and I think you'll enjoy those. Now, uh, for an announcement, potentially in the works, I'm planning for 2023 already, and I have exciting news, and I'm, I'm hoping this will come together. Uh, I had a couple of people ask me about doing this, and I thought this would be a great idea. So I will be doing an online Christmas book club. Uh, I'm going to start off with one book every two months, and we'll just kind of see how it goes. Like I said, I don't have a lot of details yet, but it's something I've been wanting to do and several have encouraged me to do it and asked me to do it. It will be free for anyone to participate in, though I, I might have some Patreon-like benefits that you can have that will come with it. So, you know, some of you donate uh, money to the podcast, which, you know, I'm so thankful for and certainly not expected. For those who do, um, th there might be a few extra benefits for you, but I, I overall, I want it to be uh, free for everyone to participate in. Uh, anyway, the best thing you can do right now, if you want to be a part of this, is to email me at CozyChristmasPodcast at gmail.com or send me a DM on any of my social media accounts and let me know that you're interested so I can have an idea about how many people want to do this and kind of go from there. And also, if you have a book you'd love to read as a part of a group read, go ahead and give me a suggestion as well uh, because... 
like I said, you know, my, my tastes run towards cozy mysteries and kind of that cozy Hallmark feeling type of story. So I want to make sure I'm also incorporating some of your favorite reads as well. So after you let me know about that, basically what will happen is we'll take a month to read the book, you know, be able to find it, read it, all that. There'll be some place online, probably like a discord channel where we can just get together to talk and chat about the book. And then I'll probably do like a wrap up video zoom hangout thing at the end of the month. Might either do it as like a zoom recording or a live stream on YouTube. Uh, I'm not sure yet. And just, you know, have a place to get together uh, once every couple months and talk about it. But I would give us six books over the year. Probably we'll structure it in a way so that we'll have December off because a lot of us are very busy. I know I definitely am and I'm not sure I'd have time for that in the December itself. Uh, so like the last book we read would be in November and that would lead us together right up to Christmas time. Let me know what you think about that. And if you want to sign up for the uh, the book club, send me an email at cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on social medias and give me your email address so I can have that. And I'll be in touch with you uh, via email here in the next month or so. But I'm, I'm really excited to do that with you all, a way to, to build our community throughout the year. And this is open to anyone, of course, uh, whether you're a Christmas podcaster or just a podcast listener, we'd love to have you aboard. Okay, with that news out of the way, let's consider our story for today. Have you ever wondered why we have turkey at Christmas? Now, growing up, that's what we would have uh, in my family, a, a turkey at Thanksgiving and as well as one on Christmas. Now that we're married, we eat ham uh, because that's what my wife likes and she's the one cooking, so I'm not going to argue with that. When we think about Christmas turkey, for me, I almost immediately think of the scene in A Christmas Carol where, you know, the Cratchit family had a goose and it was small, just enough for everyone, but not a whole lot. And at the end of the story, Scrooge gets them a turkey, implying, you know, that this is a, a bigger bird with more meat. It's better for their family. They're going to have leftovers. And it's a symbol of him wanting to help them have a better life. And so some think, did Dickens invent the Christmas turkey? I want to read to you from the website whychristmas.com under the category of Christmas turkeys. And it says this, quote, Turkeys have been eaten, eaten in the Americas for hundreds of years, as that's where turkeys come from. So how did a bird from the Americas come to be the main Christmas meal for many countries around the world? There's a lengthy section of the history of, of turkeys and how they spread and, and came to England and different things. It's really interesting if you like the history of food. Uh, anyway, so to get to the part where it talks about Christmas coming and being popularized in the United States, it says... Before turkeys could travel by train, they, and geese, had to be walked from the farms to the markets. This could take weeks, with the farmers slash bird walkers and the birds having to camp each night at the side of roads. The feet of the birds were often dipped in tar to act like feet tires to stop them from getting sore. In the UK, they would walk from Norfolk down to London and were only eaten by the rich at this time. Turkeys became fashionable to eat for Christmas in the UK in the 1840s and the 1850s. In A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, which was published in 1843, 
The Cratchit family first had a goose, but at the end of the book, Ebenezer Scrooge gave them a turkey because it was bigger and more important. Dickens's families are also recorded having a turkey for Christmas in 1843. Queen Victoria first had a turkey at Christmas in 1851, along with the more traditional goose and beef. In the 1861 book, Mrs. Beaton's Book of Household Management, turkey was praised there as the Christmas meal for the growing middle classes, and the book even included instructions on how to carve them correctly. The growing train network in the UK towards the end of the 1800s meant that turkeys could be moved much more quickly around the country, but it wasn't until after World War II, when farming became more efficient and so food cheaper, that turkey became the traditional Christmas meal in the UK rather than beef or goose. Most commercially grown turkeys are now the White Holland variety, which was first bred in the Netherlands. If I could understand this article right, it's pretty much become popular because it's cheap, <laughs> but it tastes so good. Yeah, and I think Dickens helped popularize it. I, I, I really do. I think he had a, a big impact on that, but it wasn't him alone. You know, there were many things at work in that becoming a part of Christmas. And like I said today, it's maybe not as popular at Christmas time than ham is. Although for some people, ham, that's Easter. We can't have ham. In fact, I found this really fun Wikipedia article entitled Christmas Dinner. And it has a lovely picture of a flaming uh, Christmas pudding uh, like you read about in, in the stories, uh, like in A Christmas Carol. It, it's really neat. So there's a list of all these different countries and traditionally what they eat for uh, for Christmas. In India, it mentions that they like to eat chicken and mutton curry. Um, some of the Christian communities have pork dishes and beef dishes. In Japan, of course, it mentions that uh, they like eating KFC at Christmas time, as well as a white sponge cake covered with cream and decorated with strawberries. That sounds delicious. Lebanon, the Lebanese Christians celebrate Christmas dinners. And they typically eat roast turkey. Now, uh, the Philippines, I know I've got a good number of listeners there. This says that they, that Christmas dinner in the Philippines is called Noche Buena, following Hispanic custom, and is held towards midnight of December 24th. And it looks like traditionally the centerpiece of their meal is a uh, cured leg of pork. And it's usually served with something called queso de bola, which... Uh, forgive me for mispronouncing that, but it says it's literally a ball of Edam cheese covered in red wax. Sounds delicious. There's also pasta, dessert, fruit salad, things like that. Anyway, I, I could go on and on, but yeah, it looks like it covers just about every country in the world. Ooh, Australia. Here we go. I've got some listeners in Australia. It says Christmas dinner, although eaten at lunchtime in Australia, is based on the traditional English versions. However, due to Christmas falling in the heat of the southern hemisphere summer meats such as ham turkey and chicken are sometimes served cold with cranberry sauce accompanied by side salads or roast vegetables barbecues are also a popular way of avoiding the heat of the oven seafood such as prawns lobster oysters and crayfish are common as are barbecued cuts of steak or chicken breast drumsticks and wings in summer australians are also fond of pavlova a dessert composed of fruit such as strawberries, kiwi fruit, and passion fruit atopped a baked meringue with whipped cream. Trifle is also a favorite in Australia at Christmas time. All right, I can't go through every country today. 
maybe something I'll have to do down the road. But I don't know about you, but I just made myself hungry. So what does this all have to do with today's story? Well, today's story is called A Christmas Turkey and How It Came by Louisa May Alcott of Little Women fame. I think I've read about three other of her stories on this podcast. She writes just such cozy, heartwarming stories. I I really enjoy them. Like, I, I love Dickens, don't get me wrong, but a lot of his stories are more of the ghost stories for Christmas kind of style that was popular in the Victorian age. And Louisa May Alcott certainly has, um, writes more of that that cozy, warm, family story, um, sentimental story that one would uh, expect from Hallmark or someplace like that. I think if Louisa May Alcott were alive today, she'd be writing for Hallmark. <laughs> and this story is heavy with the sentimentality. It is, if it were a dessert, it would be, it would certainly be a uh, cheesecake. I mean, with so much sweetness on it. Uh, but I love it. It's such it's such a fun story, and there's some good lessons for us in it. You can certainly see the moral of the story quite clearly. Uh, it is a product of its time, and honestly, that's why I like it. At its heart, it's a very sweet message of love for your family. Basically, it tells the story of a family of, of five children whose dad has been without work and has kind of slipped into a depression uh, I think it mentions also that he's been drinking a lot, so some pretty heavy themes in that. And the children realize they're so poor, and their father has been such a, a grouch, you know, that they don't have anything for Christmas. And so instead of, you know, complaining about their dad or, or whatever, they decide to take matters into their own hands and try to raise money to help provide food for the family Christmas dinner. The ending is very sweet. And these kids are just really lovely children. I know you're probably stuffed to your ears with turkey and you're about ready to go slip into a food coma. And uh, I would invite you to listen to this story as you do that. Sit back and relax. Grab some eggnog or hot tea as you settle in by the Christmas fire or Thanksgiving fire. And I'll read to you a Christmas turkey and how it came. By Louisa May Alcott. I know we couldn't do it. I say we could if we all helped. How can we? I've planned lots of ways, only you mustn't laugh at them. You mustn't say a word to Mother. I want it to be all a surprise. She'll find us out. No, she won't. If we tell her, we won't get into mischief. Fire away then, and let's hear your fine plans. We must talk softly, or we shall wake Father. He's got a headache. A curious change came over the faces of the two boys as their sister lowered her voice with a nod toward a half-open door. They looked sad and ashamed, and Kitty sighed as she spoke. For all knew that Father's headaches always began by his coming home, stupid or cross, with only a part of his wages, and Mother always cried when she thought they did not see her, and after the long sleep, Father looked as if he didn't like to meet their eyes, but went off early. They knew what it meant, but never spoke of it, only pondered over it and mourned with Mother at the change which was slowly altering their kind, industrious father into a moody man and Mother into an anxious, overworked woman. Kitty was thirteen and a very capable girl, who helped with the housekeeping, took care of the two little ones, and went to school. 
Tommy and Sammy looked up to her and thought her a remarkably good sister. Now as they sat round the stove having a go-to-bed warm, the three heads were close together and the boys listened eagerly to Kitty's plans while the rattle of the sewing machine in another room went on as tirelessly as it had done all day, for Mother's work was more and more needed every month. Well, began Kitty in an impressive tone, we all know that there won't be a bit of Christmas in this family if we don't make it. Mother's too busy and father don't care, so we must see what we can do, for I should be mortified to death to go to school and say I hadn't had any turkey or plum pudding. Don't expect presents, but we must have some kind of a decent dinner. So I say, I'm tired of fish and potatoes, said Sammy, the younger. But where's the dinner coming from? asked Tommy, who had already taken some of the cares of life on his young shoulders and knew that Christmas dinner did not walk into people's houses without money. We'll earn it, and Kitty looked like a small Napoleon planning the passage of the Alps. You, Tom, must go early tomorrow to Mr. Brisket and offer to carry baskets. He will be dreadfully busy and want you, I know and you are so strong you can lug as much as some of the big fellows. He pays well, and if he won't give much money, you can take your wages and things to eat. We want everything. What shall I do? cried Sammy, while Tom sat turning this plan over in his mind. Take the old shovel and clear sidewalks. The snow came on purpose to help you. It's awful hard work, and the shovel's half gone, began Sammy, who preferred to spend his holiday coasting on an old tea tray. Don't growl or you won't get any dinner, said Tom, making up his mind to lug baskets for the good of the family, like a manly lad as he was. I, continued Kitty, have taken the hardest part of all, for after my work is done and the baby safely settled, I'm going to beg for the leavings of the holly and pine swept out of the church down below and make some wreaths and sell them. If you can, put in Tommy, who had tried pencils and failed to make a fortune. Not in the street, cried Sam, looking alarmed. Yes, at the corner of the park. I'm bound to make some money and don't see any other way. I shall put on an old hood and shawl and no one will know me. Don't care if they do. And Kitty tried to mean what she said, but in her heart she felt that it would be a trial to her pride if any of her classmates should happen to recognize her. Don't believe you'll do it. See if I don't, for I will have a good dinner one day in the year. Well, it doesn't seem right for us to do it. Father ought to take care of us, and we only buy some presents with the little bit we earn. He never gives us anything now. And Tommy scowled at the bedroom door with a strong sense of injury struggling with affection in his boyish heart. Hush, cried Kitty. Don't blame him. Mother says we never must forget he's our father. I try not to. But when she cries, it's hard to feel as I ought. And a sob made the little girl stop short as she poked the fire to hide the trouble in the face that should have been all smiles. For a moment, the room was very still, as the snow beat on the window and the firelight flickered over the six shabby little boots put up on the stove hearth to dry. Tommy's cheerful voice broke the silence, saying stoutly, Well, I've got to work all day. I guess I'll go to bed early. Don't fret, Kit. We'll help all we can and have a good time. See if we don't. I'll go out real early and shovel like fury. Maybe I'll get a dollar. Would that buy a turkey? asked Sammy with the air of a millionaire. No, dear. One big enough for us would cost two, I'm afraid. Perhaps we'll have one sent us. We belong to the church, though folks don't know how poor we are now, and we can't beg. And Kitty bustled about, clearing up, rather exercise in her mind about going and asking for the much-desired fowl. Soon all three were fast asleep, 
and nothing but the whir of the machine broke the quiet that fell upon the house. Then from the inner room a man came and sat over the fire with his head in his hands and his eyes fixed on the ragged little boots left to dry. He had heard the children's talk, and his heart was very heavy as he looked about the shabby room that used to be so neat and pleasant. What he thought no one knows. What he did we shall see by and by. But the sorrow and shame and tender silence of his children worked a miracle that night more lasting and lovely than the white beauty which the snow wrought upon the sleeping city. Bright and early, the boys were away to their work. While Kitty sang as she dressed the little sisters, put the house in order, made her mother smile at the mysterious hints she gave of something splendid which was going to happen. Father was gone, and though all rather dreaded evening, nothing was said, but each worked with a will, feeling that Christmas should be merry in spite of poverty and care. All day Tommy lugged fat turkeys, roasts of beef, and every sort of vegetable for other people's good dinners on the morrow, wondering meanwhile where his own was coming from. Mr. Brisket had an army of boys trudging here and there, and was too busy to notice any particular lad till the hurry was over, and only a few belated buyers remained to be served. It was late, but the stores kept open, and though so tired he could hardly stand, brave Tommy held on when the other boys left, hoping to earn a trifle more by extra work. He sat down on a barrel to rest during a leisure moment, and presently his weary head nodded sideways into a basket of cranberries, where he slept quietly till the sound of gruff voices roused him. It was Mr. Brisket scolding because one dinner had been forgotten. I told that rascal Beals to be sure and carry it, for the old gentleman will be in a rage if it doesn't come and take away his custom. Every boy gone and I can't leave the store. Nor you either, Pat, with all the clearing up to do. Here's a boy, sir, sleeping elegant against the cranberries. Bad luck to him, answered Pat, with a shake that set poor Tom on his legs, wide awake at once. Good luck to him, you mean? Here, what's your name? Take this basket to that number and I'll make it worth your while, said Mr. Brisket, much relieved by this unexpected help. All right, sir, said Tommy. All right, sir, and Tommy trudged off as briskly as his tired legs would let him cheering the long, cold walk with visions of the turkey with which his employer might reward him, for there were piles of them, and Pat was to have one for his family. His brilliant dreams were disappointed, however, for Mr. Brisket naturally supposed Tom's father would attend to that part of the dinner, and generously heaped a basket with vegetables, rosy apples, and a quart of cranberries. "'There, if you ain't too tired, you can take one more load to that number, and a Merry Christmas to you,' said the stout man." handing over his gift with the promised dollar. "'Thank you, sir. Good night,' answered Tom, shouldering his last load with a grateful smile, and trying not to look longingly at the poultry, for he had set his heart on at least a skinny bird as a surprise to Kit. Sammy's adventures that day had been more varied and his efforts more successful, as we shall see in the end, for Sammy was a most engaging little fellow, and no one could look into his blue eyes without wanting to pat his curly yellow head with one hand while the other gave him something. The cares of life had not lessened his confidence in people, and only the most abandoned ruffians had the heart to deceive or disappoint him. His very tribulations usually led to something pleasant, and whatever happened, Sunshiny Sam came right side up, lucky and laughing. Undaunted by the drifts or the cold wind, he marched off with the remains of the old shovel to seek his fortune and found it at the third house where he called. 
The first two sidewalks were easy jobs and he pocketed his ninepence with a growing conviction that this was his chosen work. The third sidewalk was a fine long one for the house stood on the corner and two pavements must be cleared. It ought to be 50 cents, but perhaps they won't give me so much. I'm such a young one. I'll show him I can work though, like a man. And Sammy rang the bell with the energy of a telegraph boy. Before the bell could be answered, a big boy rushed up, exclaiming roughly, Get out of this. I'm going to have the job. You can't do it. Start now, or I'll chuck you into a snowbank. I won't, answered Sammy, indignant of the brutal tone and unjust claim. I got here first, and it's my job. You let me alone. I ain't afraid of you and your snowbanks either. The big boy wasted no time in words. First steps were heard inside, but after a brief scuffle hauled Sammy, fighting bravely all the way down the steps, and tumbled him into a deep drift. Then he ran up the steps and respectfully asked for the job when a neat maid opened the door. He would have got it if Sam had not roared out as he floundered in the drift. I came first. He knocked me down because I'm the smallest. Please let me do it, please. Before another word could be said, a little old lady appeared in the hall trying to look stern and failing entirely because she was the picture of a dear, fat, cozy grandma. Send that bad big boy away, Maria, and call in the poor little fellow. I saw the whole thing, and he shall have the job if he can do it. The bully slunk away, and Sammy came panting up the steps, white with snow, a great bruise on his forehead, and a beaming smile on his face. Looking so like a jolly little Santa Claus, who had taken a header out of his sleigh, that the maid laughed, and the old lady exclaimed, Bless the boy, he's dreadfully hurt, and doesn't know it. Come in and be brushed and get your breath, child, and tell me how that scamp came to treat you so. Nothing loath to be comforted, Sammy told his little tale while Maria dusted him off on the mat, and the old lady hovered in the doorway of the dining room, where a nice breakfast smoked and smelled so deliciously that the boy sniffed the odor of coffee and buckwheats like a hungry hound. He'll get his death if he goes to work till he's dried a bit. Put him over the register, Maria, and I'll give him a hot drink, for it's bitter cold, poor dear. Away trotted the kind old lady, and in a minute came back with coffee and cakes, on which Sammy feasted as he warmed his toes and told Kitty's plans for Christmas, led on by the old lady's questions, and quite unconscious that he was letting all sorts of cats out of the bag. Mrs. Bryant understood the little story and made her plans also, for the rosy-faced boy was very like a little grandson who died last year, and her sad old heart was very tender to all other small boys. She found out where Sammy lived and nodded and smiled at him most cheerily as he tugged stoutly away at the snow on the long pavements till all was done and the little workman came for his wages. A bright silver dollar and a pocketful of gingerbread sent him off a rich and happy boy to shovel and sweep till noon when he proudly showed his earnings at home and feasted the babies on the carefully hoarded cake for Dilly and Dot were the idols of the household. Now, Sammy, dear, I want you to take my place here this afternoon, for Mother will have to take her work home by and by, and I must sell my wreaths. I only got enough green for six and two bunches of holly, but if I can sell them for ten or twelve cents apiece, I shall be glad. Girls never can earn as much money as boys, somehow, sighed Kitty, surveying the thin wreaths tied up with carpet ravelings and vainly puzzling her young wits over a sad problem. I'll give you some of my money if you don't get a dollar. Then we'll be even. Men always take care of women, you know, and ought to, cried Sammy, setting a fine example to his father, if he had only been there to profit by it. 
With thanks, Kitty left him to rest on the old sofa while the happy babies swarmed over him. And putting on the shabby hood and shawl, she slipped away to stand at the park gate, modestly offering her little wares to the passers-by. A nice old gentleman bought two, and his wife scolded him for getting such bad ones. But the money gave more happiness than any other he spent that day. A child took a ten-cent bunch of holly with its red berries, and there Kitty's market ended. It was very cold. People were in a hurry. Boulder hucksters pressed before the timid little girl, and the balloon man told her to clear out. Hoping for better luck, she tried several other places. But the short afternoon was soon over, and the streets began to thin. The keen wind chilled her to the bone, and her heart was very heavy to think that in all the rich, merry city, where Christmas gifts passed her in every hand, there were none for the dear babies and boys at home. And the Christmas dinner was a failure. I must go and get supper anyway, and I'll hang these up in our own rooms as I can't sell them, said Kitty, wiping a very big tear from her cold cheek and turning to go away. A smaller, shabbier girl than herself stood near, looking at the bunch of holly with wistful eyes. And glad to do to others as she wished someone would do to her, Kitty offered the only thing she had to give, saying kindly, You may have it. Merry Christmas! and ran away before the delighted child could thank her. I am very sure that one of the spirits who fly about at this season of the year saw the little act, made a note of it, and in about 15 minutes rewarded Kitty for her sweet remembrance of the golden rule. As she went sadly homeward, she looked up at some of the big houses, where every window shone with the festivities of Christmas Eve, and more than one tear fell, for the little girl found life pretty hard just then. There don't seem to be any wreaths at these windows. Perhaps they'd buy mine. I can't bear to go home with so little for my share, she said, stopping before one of the biggest and brightest of these fairy palaces, where the sound of music was heard and many little heads peeped from behind the curtains as of watching for someone. Kitty was just going up the steps to make another trial when two small boys came racing round the corner, slipped on the icy pavement, and both went down with a crash that would have broken all their bones. One was up in a minute, laughing. The other lay squirming and howling, Oh, my knee, my knee! Till Kitty ran and picked him up with the motherly consolations she had learned to give. It's broken, I know it is, wailed the small sufferer as Kitty carried him up the steps while his friend wildly rang the doorbell. It was like going into a fairyland, for the house was all astir with a children's Christmas party. Servants flew about with smiling faces, open doors gave ravishing glimpses of a feast in one room and a splendid tree in another, while a crowd of little faces peered over the balusters in the hall above, eager to come down and enjoy the glories prepared for them. A pretty young girl came to meet Kitty and listened to her story of the accident, which proved to be less severe than it first appeared. For Bertie, the injured party, forgot his anguish at sight of the tree and hopped upstairs so nimbly that everyone laughed. He said his leg was broken, but I guess he's all right, said Kitty, reluctantly turning from this happy scene to go out into the night again. Would you like to come see our tree before the children come down? asked the pretty girl, seeing the wistful look in the child's eyes and the shine of half-dried tears on her cheek. Oh, yes, I never saw anything so lovely. I'd like to tell the babies all about it. And Kitty's face beamed at the prospect, 
as if the kind words had melted all the frost away. How many babies are there? asked the pretty girl as she led the way into the brilliant room. Kitty told her, adding several other facts for the friendly atmosphere seemed to make them friends at once. I will buy the wreaths for we haven't any, said the girl in silk as Kitty told how she was just coming to offer them when the boys fell. It was pretty to see how carefully the little hostess laid away the shabby garlands and slipped a half dollar into Kitty's hand, prettier still to watch the sly way in which she tucked some bonbons, a red ball, a blue whip, two china dolls, two pairs of little mittens, and some gilded nuts into an empty box for the babies. And prettiest of all, to see the smiles and tears make April in Kitty's face as she tried to tell her thanks for this beautiful surprise. The world was all right when she got into the street again and ran home with the precious box hugged close, feeling that at last she had something to make a merry Christmas of. Shrieks of joy greeted her, for Sammy's nice old lady had sent a basket full of pies, nuts and raisins, oranges and cake, and, oh happy Sammy, a sled, all for the love of the blue eyes that twinkled so merrily when he told her about the tea tray. Piled upon this red car of triumph, Dilly and Dot were being dragged about, while the other treasures were set forth on the table. I must show mine, cried Kitty. We'll look at them tonight and have them tomorrow. And amid more cries of rapture, her box was unpacked, her money added to the pile in the middle of the table where Sammy had laid his handsome contribution toward the turkey. Before the story of the splendid tree was over, in came Tommy with his substantial offering and his hard-earned dollar. I'm afraid I ought to keep my money for shoes. I've walked the soles off these today and can't go to school barefooted, he said, bravely trying to put the temptation of skates behind him. We've got a good dinner without a turkey, and perhaps we'd better not get it, added Kitty with a sigh as she surveyed the table and remembered the blue knit hood marked 75 cents that she saw in a shop window. Oh, we must have a turkey. We worked so hard for it, and it's so Christmassy, cried Sam, who always felt that pleasant things ought to happen. Must have turkey, echoed the babies as they eyed the dolls tenderly. You shall have a turkey. And there he is, said an unexpected voice as a noble bird fell upon the table and lay there kicking up his legs as if enjoying the surprise immensely. It was father's voice, and there stood father, neither cross nor stupid, but looking as he used to look, kind and happy, and beside him was mother, smiling as they had not seen her smile for months. It was not because the work was well paid for, and more promised, but because she had received a gift that made the world bright, a home happy again. Father's promise to drink no more. I've been working today, as well as you. And you may keep your money for yourselves. There are shoes for all. And never again, please God, shall my children be ashamed of me or want a dinner Christmas day. As father said this with a choke in his voice and mother's head went down on his shoulder to hide the happy tears that wet her cheeks. The children didn't know whether to laugh or cry till Kitty, with the instinct of a loving heart, settled the question by saying, as she held out her hands, We haven't any tree, so let's dance around our goodies and be merry. And the tired feet in the old shoes forgot their weariness, and five happy little souls skipped gaily round the table, where, in the midst of all the treasures earned and given, Father's Christmas turkey proudly lay in state.
That was A Christmas Turkey and How It Came by Louisa May Alcott. I love this story. Like I told you at the beginning, it was very sentimental, very sweet. Maybe at times you found it a little too much, but let this story challenge you. You know, uh, often these tales were written to children to help them show proper behavior. Have you been able to do something like this for someone where you can help meet a need? It is my hope that someone in your life will reach out to you to help you and to remember that even though you might not have that lavish Christmas dinner, uh, do you have your family? Do you have friends? I mean, do you have a dog (laughs) or a pet, something that you can show love to and gift to? And let me even challenge you with this, that this in the story, that the the girl of the story, she was poor, and yet she still gave something away. And I think that at its heart is where we find Christmas joy, where we find Christmas purpose. And, you know, we might receive a blessing in return, or we might not. I mean, let's Let's be honest. Sometimes we do something that's right and we don't necessarily see a return on that. And you know what? You got to say that's fine because I'm not doing this so that I'll get something in return. I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do and it's the kind thing to do. And I love in the story how at the end, the father is moved by his children's love for him in spite of his imperfections and in spite of the, the, the case of the grumpies he has and the potentially alcoholism that he's allowed into his life. They love him. They're going to try to help him and, and provide for the family. And I think that's what I like about this story is that it shows, you know, the power of, of love can change lives. Uh, kindness can change lives. So maybe that's uh, something you can purpose this year at Christmas to show kindness and love towards those who may be without. I've got an interview coming up with author Liz Ireland. And in that, we, we ended up talking about some things we can do at Christmas time to help others, such as going to visit people in retirement homes and singing and playing music. Uh, it was a really fun conversation, but it can be something just as simple as that, that you gift them with your presence, not necessarily a present. That can go a long way. Well, I'm about ready to head back into the kitchen for round two of turkey and and desserts. Before I go, I want to remind you again that if you are interested in being a part of the Cozy Christmas Book Club, send me an email at cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com or send me a direct message on any of my social media accounts. And then I will see you this Saturday on YouTube on another Cozy Christmas Book Corner episode. If you like what we're doing here and want to help support the show, there are links in the show notes to uh, my merchandise store. Uh, You can get t-shirts, coffee mugs, notebooks, things like that, uh, as well as some ornaments on Etsy. If you make a donation on Ko-fi.com, I'll send you a Christmas card and a bookmark or sticker. Huge thank you to some folks who have been very kindly giving uh, to the podcast this year. Um, you know who you are and I can't do it and I couldn't do it without your encouragement. So thank you. Thank you until next time. 
Remember to be kind and to do good. And let us honor Christmas in our heart and try to keep it all the year. Have a very Merry Christmas.